I know there's a lot of um, different things that are going on in, in our community, in our world, and I know there's a lot of different things that have been said about, you know, Bible Fellowship Church and planning, and, and, um, and we're excited about what God has planned for the future. And uh, so Susan and I were just talking the other day about ministry and church, and, and so we were just kind of sharing a thought, and so she shared with me, she said, you know, would it be interesting if we looked at Bible Fellowship Church as a training ground? So I've been thinking about that. You know, knowing that we live in a generation, and, and so you, since you know me, you know I'm, I like sports, and so now I'm watching or listening or reading CBS and sports and ESPN and the whole talk about NBA free agency and who's going to get the max contract and who's going to go where and who are the superstars are going to team up together. And, and it's just kind of interesting as a, as a guy sitting in a small town not to get wrapped up in, you know what, what do I deserve? What do I think? What do I want? What, are, what is my value? What is your value? What do you, you really want to do? And so as I thought about that, and I just thinking about us as a family, if we were going to call ourselves a training ground, what would be some of the fundamental things? Now I realize we have in here, we have coaches, we have teachers, we have athletes, we have people who love to shop, uh, we have all kinds of different people, right? And all of you are gifted in different ways, and so there's certain things that you're really, really excited about, and and some of you, I, you know, I kind of know you, so, you know, like I'll come ask a coach, you know, a guy that I know is coaching, well, what do you think about this? And so, hey, these are some things you need to think about, and fundamentals, and da-da-da-da-da, and, you know, I can ask people that, you know, bass fish all the time, but it doesn't matter because I'm still not going to catch them. But I like to ask questions and see what's going on and get advice and listen. But what would you say would be fundamental for the church to be here in 20 years? If the Church of the United States of America is going to exist in 20 years, what are some of the things that we are going to need to do really, really well or that are our priority or who we are as a family in order to be strong in our community? Now, something I think is really interesting, Satan will never defeat the church. But I'm not sure the people inside the building are excited about the fundamentals. I'm not sure that we, we have a passion to go talk about this and this and this and this, and I'm not sure the fundamental is the passion of what we're talking about. Now, I realize it's easy to go find a good restaurant, and then you go tell all your friends, man, this was the best restaurant ever. And then you might even go back to them and say, by the way, did you ever go eat there? Did you tell your friend about it? Or then, you know, I'm pretty sure we're not going to have another ice cream shop show up in Sebring, but, man, they've got the best chocolate ice cream anywhere in the world, right there. It's right here in Sebring. And if you would tell me that, I'd probably go check it out because I like chocolate ice cream. But what is the fundamental of who you are when it comes to the church? Somebody comes and asks us, hey, what's, what are you so excited? Why do you go there? And so this morning, I was thinking about what is, a, what is a fundamental for me 
as us as a family? My answer, number one, would be the gospel. And so over the weeks and months, we've given you little cards. And some of it was just so you to see if you could write out the gospel. Some of it was for us to say, you know what? As staff, have we really got one of these things that are fundamental? As, do they, can they really say it to us? Can they put it back on a piece of paper? I had the opportunity, I've asked you before to be praying for a guy by the name of Ralph. And so Thursday evening, I'm out kind of doing my thing, mowing some grass, and um, I love the smell of a weed eater, and I love to just mow grass. And so I'm out mowing grass, and Ralph's wife sees me, and so she comes over and she stops. She says, I, I, can you come talk to Ralph? I said, sure, but I mean, I'm kind of sweaty and dirty, and she's like, it doesn't matter, come on in. Well, Ralph has cancer, and they're treating Ralph right now through radiation, so I go into Ralph's house, I'm sitting down with him and his wife, and so they're asking me questions. And so I said, Ralph, this is the first thing that I would do. If, the, if I'm you, this is what I'd do. I would go to my doctor's appointment, July the 8th, he has a doctor's appointment, and they pretty much already told him they want him to do chemo. Well, Ralph is basically skin and bones at this point. So I said, Ralph, this is what I would do. I would ask that doctor, doctor, if I, if you were going to treat your father what would you tell him to do? If I'm your dad, what would you say to do? And so then I said, Ralph, the number two part of what I'm thinking about, the, number, the second question is, what do you believe about Jesus? And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it, and I talk to you about it, but I never thought Thursday afternoon at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm soaking wet thinking, you know what? Here's your chance. Now you get to go into Ralph's house. You don't look good. You don't have your Bible with you, but you're now in Ralph's house. You're all dirty and nasty and stinky, but you're in Ralph's house. So what are we going to talk about? I said, Ralph, one of my favorite verses is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but whoever believes in him should not perish, but have every, everlasting life. Ralph just looked at me. So I give him another verse, and we talk, and we have another verse, and we talk. I don't know for sure exactly where Ralph is right now, but you know what I found out? Ralph's father was a Southern Baptist preacher. Hmm, that's interesting. Ralph's wife, whatever church was the closest to her house, because they only had one car, she would walk to whatever church she could get to. Said, Ralph, if I was you, I would pick up my phone, I would call my kids, and I would tell my children, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for forgiveness of my sin. And then I'm going to go ask the doctor this question, and then we'll make a decision. And what's interesting is most of you could probably quote John 3.16, or another verse I like to use, I shared this was first hours, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. So it's not about you, but we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So probably if we gather around this morning, we pass the microphone, we say, do you believe in Jesus? Most of us would probably say, yes, 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 yes. Okay? Second question. How has the gospel impacted your life? You sitting in your seat. How has the gospel, Christ, changed you? And so I started thinking about, you know, the, the gospel and how it have, has affected my life. I started thinking about work and family and 
possibly what students might say in a marriage. I thought about, you know, work. You know, we, we're, it's so easy for us to get involved in a work situation. You know what? It's always the boss's fault. They're always wrong. They never value you enough. You, they don't pay you what you think you're worth. It's always the boss. Wait a second. If it's always the boss, where's the gospel in your life? Where's Jesus in you? Instead of buying into the lie of living in the United States of America, it's always somebody else's responsibility. No, it's you sitting in your seat, your job. Oh, you might have a bad boss, but when you get to heaven, you're not going to say, Jesus, I wish you would have changed my boss out five years sooner, because I realized just, it was kind of hard living on earth with that person as a boss. Or maybe the Jesus is saying, you know what, I want you to have this boss to cultivate spiritual growth in your life so there'll be some maturity in who you are. When was the last time at work you said, Jesus, I don't have the answers. I need some help. I thought about Families. And if you've ever, if you ever get the privilege to be a parent, I was thinking about it, it is a privilege to be a parent. You know what's exciting is when parents change more than the kids change. You know what's exciting? When mom and dad change in their relationship with Christ more than their kids. Because there's a tendency in parenting, <laughs> you're a mess. Why did you say that? Why do you act like that? Weren't you thinking about me? Don't you know that I'm the best parent ever? How in the world would you ever do that to me? What is wrong with you? Kids should turn around back to their, kids, to their parents and say, like, last time I read my Bible, Dad, you're not God. Jesus is. Now that does not mean that we don't obey our parents. But when a dad steps over here and says, you know what, I can find value when my kid obeys me, then we're in the wrong place as parents. So when was the last time, parents, we said to, to Jesus, Jesus, help them. Jesus, I don't know what to do right now with them. Instead of blowing up, Going all crazy inside, saying things you should never have said, then you have to go back and ask for forgiveness. Lord, change their life. One last thing with parenting, and then I'll move on. The things that you don't like about your children are probably you staring you back in the mirror. Okay? The things that used to fire me up the most about my children were my inadequacies and my failures that I didn't want to pass on to the next generation. So I had to do something with me first. Well, you say that you love Jesus. Here's the gospel. Hey, receive it then. Say, it's not just salvation from hell. It's all right, God, do something in my life. Transition it from here to here. Make it a passion of who I am, you, Jesus. Thinking about marriages. When was the last time they had the opportunity and the privilege to forgive our spouse? And we counted that as a privilege. That we worked our way through the scriptures and looked in Ephesians and we've been reminded by, by Paul that we're supposed to be imitators of Christ who have received forgiveness. 
But yeah, I mean, we're holding on to that. We, will, we are going to be right. We're not going to say, I'm sorry. We're not going to give forgiveness away. We just receive it. We don't want to give it away. Hmm. Last one I just want to talk about is, you know, we talked to the students this morning. We'd probably ask them, do you love Jesus? You would say yes. I find it interesting, though. We grow in a society, though, not every student, but most students that we talk with, they have really bad teachers. It's always the teacher's fault for their grade. I find that really interesting. Well, they didn't teach me anything. Well, did you listen for the first time? And then what else I find really, really interesting is they don't like doing homework. But yet if they don't do their homework, I mean, I went to school, your homework had to be in on Monday. And if you didn't do it, then your grade was that. Now you can say, okay, homework due Monday, but we'll give you a little extra credit because you didn't do your Monday, work on Monday. You can do something by Friday. We'll still give you some grade. I'm thinking, how in the world does that work? I might have been an A student back in the day then. If I had that opportunity, I mean, God can do miracles. <laughs> I turn in three papers, four. And what's crazy is the kid will say, and guess who backs him up? Mom and dad. Whoa, time out. No, 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 that's not how it works. Your kid has the gospel. They have Jesus. Guess what? They can get homework done on time. And the other thing I think is really interesting is you talk to students, it's no longer about this is what, you know, in Romania, Gerald Zemer, a friend of ours, missionary, hey, give your life to Christ. I wonder how much money I'm going to make. Well, what's my retirement plan going to be like? We're raising a generation of students that they're looking for, well, if I make this amount of money, then I'll be happy. This is my career because I'll make money in that career. Go ahead and make your money, but Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to make money. He died on the cross to radically change your life. So a fundamental part of a training ground on Hammock Road, whatever that's going to look like, needs to be the gospel. And that we as a family, no respecter of ages, can sit down with somebody or that we're praying for somebody. Who's the Ralph in your life that you're praying for? God, just get me in the door. However long that takes. Lord, if I have to go to the hospital, visit them, I'll go to the hospital. Lord, if I have to cut the hedge, I'll cut the hedge. If I don't have to complain because their grass is blown on my yard and not their yard, I'm I'm not going to complain. Because I want an opportunity to sit down. And what would it be for you when you had the opportunity to sit down? What verses would you use? Where would you turn in your Bible? So one of the fundamental parts of who we are is the gospel. And then another fundamental part of who I, my prayer is for us to be is that we're involved in discipleship. If you have your Bible, go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I was just thinking back through Scripture and kind of Paul and Timothy's relationship, but I was also thinking back kind of like the Second Samuel chapter 11. And don't you don't have to turn there. I just want to just, you, you know about this. It's about David's life, and David's going to make a decision. And, and there's this one individual, and I don't know who the individual was, but David's kind of thinking, man, this kind of looks like something I want to be involved in. And there's that one person, there's that one voice that says, David, That's Uriah the Hittite's wife. I don't think you should get involved there. And then I was thinking back of Old Testament and Esther and Mordecai and 
God's going to call this new queen, and she's going to have this individual, and his name is Mordecai. And when she needs somebody to pray for, somebody to encourage her, somebody to get some answers, she turns to Mordecai and says, what do you think? I'm praying. I don't know what to do. I'm wearing sackcloth. I'm wearing ashes. So I'm thinking this morning, who's, who's that rock for you? Who's that person that you go to and say, hey, I, I, need, I just need to talk to you? So I guess in New Testament terminology, who's your Paul? Who's that person that you, you go to and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is a passage of scripture I don't, I don't quite understand. And, and so it's kind of like if, who would that be persons? You look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul's words to this young man, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that was first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Who's that person that, it's, that recognizes your sincere faith? And who is the individual that we're looking around? So I kind of have my chairs here because it's, you know, I wasn't going to do a PowerPoint this morning. I just kind of want to do something different. Who's your Paul and who's your Timothy? Who's that individual that you recognize? Man, that person's got sincere faith. I want to get involved in their lives. And it's kind of interesting as you kind of look at this, you know, building of this foundation or this team or whatever, we're kind of coming off of Matthew chapter 24 and 23 saying, Matthew chapter 23 saying, oh, this is what the hypocritical faith looked like. That's not what Paul identified in Timothy. It wasn't the individual who says, yeah, I'll act this way here. I'll say this here. But boy, over here, I'm going to live a totally different lifestyle. No sincere faith. Who's the person that you look to that you say, man, they've got sincere faith. I want to be like them one day. I was thinking the other day, I couldn't say it first hour. But I was thinking the other day of a guy by the name of Ike Richards. You know what I admired about Ike? There was never a time that I had a meeting with Ike Richards where he did not have a piece of paper with questions on that piece of paper. Now, I probably could give you those questions, but every time he met with me, he met with me for a purpose. Oh, we had fun, and he used to pick on me because I didn't stop one time or gone to an event, and I didn't stop and get him sweet tea or whatever it was. Is that what I was supposed to get him or Diet Coke or whatever? We were going somewhere, and there's a McDonald's, and he kind of make, made mention about, you know what, I'm kind of thirsty. I'm thinking, that's Ike. If he's thirsty, he's really going to tell me I'm thirsty. Stop and get me a drink. Well, I just kept on going. I wasn't thinking nothing of it. I never lived that down. He never let me forget that. I did not stop and get him a drink. Even though he never asked me to get a drink, he just mentioned it, kind of like a woman. Just mention something, but you don't really know what they mean when they mention it. Just say it, for crying out loud. If you want to stop, stop. Tell me, stop. I got it. Don't mention things to me. I'm, I'm on a mission. I'm going to go somewhere. So if you're around me, just say it, okay? Because I'm going somewhere. And, and I, and I, so anyway, so I've been thinking about my life. There's lots of times that I have meetings, but I don't have a notepad, a piece of paper saying, hey, I need to get with this guy for this, 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 and this. Because that's what Ike did for me. Who's that person that needs you to have your piece of paper? And ask them the questions. 
Because your faith is sincere and you want to pass that on. And we're walking around in a generation that's just whatever. No. We need a generation to be raised up, discipled through sincere faith. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes, but we're passionate about it. We're passionate about our relationship. John chapter 15 actually means something to you. Yeah, I'm abiding in you, Christ. You're my all in all. You're changing me. And it's affecting my parenting and my work and my relationships at school. It's affecting all those things. Another thing that I think is really interesting about 2 Timothy, go down to verse 8. It says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Some people are going to end up in the hospital to suffer so that the gospel can go forward. That's going to be you. Will the gospel go forward? Or I'll be like, you know what, this, is, this isn't fair. You know, I'm, I'm young. What's wrong? Be calm for this very thing that he who began a good work and you'll be faithful to complete it. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. The race is marked for you. It's kind of interesting as you kind of finish on, verse 9 it says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. I'm not walking from here. I'm walking from ages in the past. This is what's been given to me. Let's just pass it on. But pass on the gospel. Pass on a sincerity of the faith. Pass on somebody saying, you know what? If I have to suffer, I'm going to suffer with a smile on my face. Because I want the gospel to move forward. Think about it. Paul's in prison, sitting there, chained to a guard. He could have been complaining about the food, the water, the bathrooms. This isn't fair, Jesus. You know, I loved you and I gave my life for you. What in the world? I've already been scourged and scourged scourged and beaten and left for shipwreck and been bit by a snake. Isn't that enough? No, no, go to prison because there's somebody there I want you to meet. He's a Roman guard. And I want to tell him of the amazing things God has done in your life. Have a seat, Paul. Here's the gospel. I wonder how many guards walked out of there and got saved. I wonder how many families were radically changed by this crazy guy in prison by the name of Paul who couldn't stop talking about Jesus. You probably couldn't either if you'd end up sitting at a campfire one night and, you, and the snake comes out of the fire and bites you and everybody else is sitting around going to watch you die and you're still alive. Because God said, hey, I want to use you as a witness in that facility. So he had to get bitten by a snake and he should have been dead. And all those people are scratching their heads thinking, what in the world happened to that guy? He's supposed to die. No, he's not going to die because he's one of that individuals around that campfire to hear the gospel. That's why he didn't die. What's the story that needs to be told on for generations to come of the miracles God's done in your life? So you can say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. He did this and this and this and this. Last thing, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So as you end your little time with Paul and Timothy, he's got this older servant that's going to say, I see something in your life. I see you've got sincere faith. 
I recognize that it's going to hurt at times. That life's not going to be fair. Timothy, you need to flee euphilus. Pursue the right thing. What's interesting is I look at that passage of Scripture. Most of you could talk about righteousness and faith and love and peace. You know what's kind of interesting at the end of that passage? Along with those who... Along with those who... I don't want you to say it out loud. I want you to think about this. Along those who ask for help, who call. (laughs) See, we could talk hours about righteousness and love and peace, and we could define that 35 different ways. But I just wonder how many of you will call. How many of you will stop and say, hey, I need you today. I can't. So, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to open the Scriptures. And I don't know what this this looks like. I don't know where we'll be in five years. Father, I just pray that one of the foundational, fundamental things of who we are would be the gospel. And not just that we could talk about it, but that our lives would be affected by every single area because Jesus is our Savior. And that the other piece that would be fundamental to who we are would be discipleship. That we would have a Paul in our life that would be pouring into us and that, that we would have a Timothy in our lives that we could be pouring into somebody else. May that be fundamentally who we are. May it never be about the size of a building or what goes on inside of the building, but it may be about you, Jesus. And Father, you know we need classroom space. So open the, make a way where there seems to be no way. But in, when we do that, may we not talk about, well, you know, we got, no, no, this is, This is Jesus. He opened the door. Let me walk with you in discipleship because he's changing my life. I think he can change yours too. So, Father, may we be fundamental evangelism and discipleship. May that be a passion of our family. Father, as we close our time together, I pray that many people would get a chance to talk to Emmanuel and his family. And I pray for Lance today, a friend of mine. Father, may you give him comfort and peace today. I thank you for his family, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Would you stand and worship with us?